Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Wendy Van Dam is originally a Cache Valley girl and was raised in the tiny town of River Heights. After living in Salt Lake for the past five years, she relocated to her promised land, Warren, Utah. The peace of the countryside soothes her soul. She is married to the man of her dreams, Mike. He literally checks off everything she ever put on her dream list of characteristics she hoped her future spouse would have. And she is the mama of one five-year-old mini-me whom she sees as an angel straight from heaven, helping her so, so much to learn and grow. Wendy helps women create an extraordinary life, one filled with love, joy, and peace. She believes that everyone deserves a cheerleader and loves partnering with women to help them believe in themselves. Her secret sauce? Inviting you to discover you are already enough. Wendy's life theme is trusting divinity. To trust that, especially when things begin to get messy, God is at work setting things up for his children to receive beyond their wildest dreams. Wendy, I am so excited to have you on for the podcast, and specifically, Wendy and I were introduced because we were set up as the accountability partners in the Creation Coach program with Brooke Snow. I have been so privileged over the last several months to get to know Wendy and to receive her cheerleading and her wisdom. I am so excited to have you here, and I want you to begin by telling us how you discovered your life purpose. I imagine it started before this life, honestly and truthfully. Um, And then throughout different experiences of my life, I felt very often that I was asked to trust my heavenly father's timing rather than my own. I served a mission that I didn't want to serve. And it turned out to be one of the most incredible experiences of my life, but was certainly not on my radar, not something that I wanted to do. And then I did not meet my husband or, well, I should say reconnect with my husband until eight and a half years later. And so I kind of had that thing like, well, if I do what you want me to do, then I can have what I want. And once again, he asked me to trust in his timing and to wait upon his timing to receive the man of my dreams. And then there have just been other little experiences all throughout my life that as I have looked back over my life, I have found that theme of trusting divinity, trusting God's timing. But specifically, it was actually really interesting. I finally had everything I'd ever wanted. I had a baby. I had a husband. I had a house. I was living my dream life. And it was so strange to me that in the midst of all of that, I was becoming more and more depressed every day. And I was starting to wonder what was wrong with me and why can't I just be grateful for this incredible life that I have been given I was running my own business. I was selling health insurance out of my home. I had the life. I had it all going on and it was so good, but yet something inside of me was not okay. And I was getting more and more sad 
every day. And I was beating myself up for not being grateful for the life that I had. And I will never forget. I was, I was just doing like, I always like to say, I don't think that I found my life purpose. I truly believe that it found me. And so if you're out there and you're worried about like, oh, I got to find my life purpose. I think we're going to get to this in a minute, but don't stress. Just don't stress. Don't worry. It'll find you. It'll come to you when the timing is right. I was actually trying to grow my health insurance business when I found this next piece of my life purpose. I was, I was seeking to grow a business and I started going to networking events. And that is where I met a woman who my fault self likes to say, turned my world upside down, but my divine self knows that she turned my world right side up. Her name is Felicia Searcy. Um, she was the first mentor, coach, cheerleader that I hired in my life to help me. And the one question that changed my life the very most, the day that I met her, we spent some time exploring the question, what would you love? And so that question is really what helped me discover this, this incredible opportunity to be a cheerleader in other people's lives. And to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ in and um, help women know that they are already enough. Well, I already feel so edified just in this little bit of time from what you just said. It's such an inspiring story and the way you tell it is so beautiful. Um, when people do say that they've done a lot of inner work or that they, they start to do this, they start to be coached or they ask these questions. What does that look like for you or for other people? Yeah, it's interesting. Like once you kind of get into the world, right? You start talking about it, like everybody knows what you're talking about. And there's probably a ton of people out there in the world being what inner work, what is that? And I always go back to, I have no idea where in the scriptures, I know the scriptures really well, but I don't know all the references. I know the stories, but I, I go back to the scripture and it's Christ talking. And he tells us, I change people from the inside out, not from the outside in. I think so often we're, we're looking to external things to fix an internal problem instead of just going inside and being really curious and really kind to ourselves while we do some like discovery work inside. So I think part of the reason too, why this word is maybe hard to define or why people have a challenging time understanding it is because it's individual for each person. Certainly there's a toolbox of things that you can use for inner work. But then each person kind of has to find which tools work for them and when they work for them and how they work. So I just wrote down some examples of things that I consider inner work in my world. I was at a women's retreat this last weekend, and that was really awesome and cool and wonderful. And that provided some opportunities for some inner work for me. And hiring coaches or mentors or joining programs has, has like in Brooke's program, the part that I would say is the most inner work is all the journaling prompts and actually working through the questions and, and asking myself for the answers that are already within me. And that's why it's inner work, right? I'm not out listening to Brooke, give me answers. I'm inside myself, discovering the answers for myself I'm journaling. And I have learned right now in my life that I don't have to journal with pen and paper. I can do voice recordings while I'm in the car being creative <laughs> in inner work. I have found music to be very healing. So I love creating playlists that are uplifting. 
just leaning in and asking for support, letting people know that I need help, that I'm not in a good place. Yoga has been really fun. Something that I've been learning about recently and participating in. And I think hand in hand with that comes meditation. And then another practice that I have is every day, every night before I go to bed, I actually sit down and write a little love letter to myself and I process my day and that's all inner work. And so it's all actually really fun stuff and stuff that I enjoy doing. And so I think sometimes we think too, like, oh, inner work is going to be so hard and that's scary. And I don't want to see what's inside myself. And I've definitely had those moments where that has been a little bit challenging because I think sometimes we think we're not going to find anything in there. And that can be a scary place, but the more you do it, the more you fall in love with it. And then I just had one really specific example from my story. As I stepped into this new world of inner work and finding myself and self-discovery, it kind of amplified or highlighted a relationship in my life that was really challenging and always had been, it always had been a challenge in my life and it just shown the light on that really big. And I realized that in order for me to get where I wanted to go, that was a relationship that needed to heal. And it's not that it had to heal. It's that it was a really big invitation for me to look at it and find ways to heal it in order for me to get where I wanted to go, because it was the relationship in my life that really accentuated the, you are not enough verbiage in my world. And so I needed to to change that. One day I remember sitting down and I had done a lot of work already actually on this relationship. And I remember sitting down and writing this really beautiful letter to this person. And I had told them like, thank you so much for, for playing this role in my life. It's a really big role. Thank you for being that for me. But now that I'm an adult, I feel like I can take care of myself. And I'm so grateful that for everything that you've given me, And moving forward, this is what I would love our relationship to look like, right? And I started defining all the things that I wanted in our relationship. And it was a really beautiful letter. And I had every intent of potentially sending it to this person. And I ended up, divine orchestration put me in touch with a coach like that I was already working with, right? But we ended up having some calls about this specific thing. And I remember her saying, I told her, I've written this letter to, to this person in my life. And she said, oh, okay, that's great. I'd love to hear what you wrote. And so I ended up reading out this letter to her and telling her all the things that I had wrote. And she goes, wow, that is really beautiful. And I was like, yeah, I know. I am really proud of all the work I've done. And I can't wait to send this to this person. And then I remember her saying, you're not sending it. And I was like, huh? And she said, the work that you have to do now is to go through this letter and figure out how you can give yourself every single one of these things that you're asking for. And this coach, Felicia, that I worked with, um, that was my first mentor. She is the one who always says, quit going to the hardware store for a loaf of bread. And so this exercise really reminded me of that, that once again, I had written this letter and I wanted to go to an external source and tell that external source how to fill my bucket instead of just recognizing that I could fill my own bucket and that I could give myself all of those things. And in so doing, I actually let this person in my life off of the hook and it has transformed our relationship. We have a better relationship than we have ever, ever, ever had. And 
so the power of inner work is, is incredible. Um, and it can look like tons of different things and it, it can actually be fun. That's so hope giving. <laughs> uh, that is so hope giving. And there's a part of me that wants to dig a little bit more into the role then of relationships in our life, because what role do they play? Because sometimes I think we look to our relationships as the place where we get validated or where we get worthiness. So how do we put those relationships back in the, in the right place and, and have the correct perspective on them? Because if it does come from us and it also comes from Christ, how do we make sure that we're aligned with Christ instead of with others? This is a really great question and I will give you my, my best answer and know that like, I am still in a path of discovery, right? Um, but the more that I have learned about what all, there's a really cool book that Felicia had me read and I don't even know the name of it at the moment, but in this book, this woman talks about how each, each of us individually are a divine center of operation. And in Brooke's program, right, we learn that we are creators. And what I am learning is that truly um, the thoughts and the, the things that I think and the way that I treat myself and the way that I fill my own bucket then actually has the power to transform my outer world. And so Christ says, I heal you from the inside out and everything changes. And so I think so often, right? And Sometimes we're going to have to accept in this life that the traditions of our fathers have been the very best that our fathers had to offer us, but they did not have as much light and understanding as the Lord is willing to give unto us because even as a planet and even as a people, we are evolving together. And so it makes sense that things will change and that we'll understand things differently and so I do think that sometimes as a child, I was taught your family is so important, no contention in the home and the church often in my world. And I don't know if it was all my perception or if it's what was really taught, right. But how I perceived it was, here's the ideal. And, and then I would look at my world and I would be like, we are anything but ideal. And so then I just would try to fight to get to ideal and I think that somewhere along the line, there's an accepting of things exactly as they are, as messy as they are, no matter how much contention is in the home, just accepting it and saying, this is what it is. And maybe something in my life has told me that this is not how it should be. But if I can accept it and become aware of it and get really curious about it and not judge it, then I can start to change it. Then I can start to transform it. But I think so often we just sit in it and we judge it and we say that it's bad or wrong because it's not the ideal. And then we get stuck. <laughs> we just get stuck. And so I think I'm a little bit off track of what your question was. But for me, I have found that when I don't need anything for my husband, I don't need him to tell me that I'm beautiful. Like certainly I love when he does and certainly it helps. But if I don't need him to, and I don't have that expectation on him, and I'm not always nagging him because he's not doing it, then he is more free, much more free to show up and actually say those things to me, right? Because I'm not constantly telling him 
that he's doing it all wrong. I'm just helping in my life and that I love having him by my side. Now, trust you, me, like, like I said, I'm working on all of these things too. And so I don't always do it all right, but there has been such a huge transformation in my life over the last three years since I dove into this world of inner work. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And I've, I want to actually, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about your mission and and what you learned from that experience. That was a really beautiful experience for you. And I want to hear a little bit about why. Yeah. So, you know, it didn't start out as a beautiful experience, (laughs) if I'm really honest. And it's so interesting to me. I think that this is one of the things that I feel so called to help people find in their lives is that before we find the light, we often have to wade through a lot of darkness. And sometimes things in our life have to get dark before they can turn to light. And I don't know why that is the way that it is, except for that I know that there are laws that govern this universe. And the more I read in the scriptures and the more I study, the more I understand that opposition in all things is one of those laws. And so even in the good things, opposition shows up. I was called to serve in Greece. Athens, Greece, clear across the world from where I live. Um, and I truly believe that it's probably one of the most difficult missions. If you're talking about success for baptizing and we all know that Europe is challenging, but I would say, and it's not really my opinion. I mean, it is my opinion, but lots of other people have said this too. Greece is incredibly hard. I didn't want to go on a mission. The Lord helped me see that that was the best thing for me. And I actually got really excited about it and got my call to Greece. And I remember trying to find my place because I remember getting to the MTC and they kept talking about quiet dignity. And I was like, what is that? (laughs) And that is not my personality at all. I'm super outgoing, super bubbly, super loud, super friendly, And that's just kind of who I am. And so I was like, okay, hold on. And I remember actually having a bishop when I asked him if I could have mission papers, my bishop said to me, you have to promise me that you will not let a mission change you. What is he talking about? And he's like, promise me that you will stay you do not let this mission experience change you. And I was, I still was like, what was he talking? And then I got to the MTC and they started talking about quiet dignity. And I was like, this is what he was talking about. Like, they're going to try to suck my personality out of me. And then I landed in Greece. And I knew that God had sent me to the perfect place for me because the Greek people are super loud and super hospitable and super outgoing, loud people. And I was like, yes, I just fit in here. These are my people. And so I didn't really have to deal with quiet dignity. I could just be me in that land. But I got there and I had some expectations of what I thought a mission would be. And magically, I thought that I would land in this place and all these 19 year old boys, 21 year old girls would be like these perfect people because all of a sudden now we're missionaries and we have the badge of Christ on us. And so we're going to step up our game and somehow magically transform to perfection for a couple of years and then go home. Well, this was not the case for me. I showed up to a land of elders who really did not like sisters. And I showed up to a place where I didn't know how to talk to anybody. I didn't know the language, whatever they taught me in in the MTC surely didn't sound like the language that I was listening to in this foreign land. And it, it got really hard. There were just some really hard 
things. And I remember getting to this place of thinking like, I don't even know if I'm doing one bit of good care. I could go home and help. I had a really good friend who was going through some really hard things at home. And so I was like, maybe I should just go home and actually be somewhere where I can help people. And I was getting really down and I'm so grateful. I had, I ended up having a conversation with an elder and he reminded me of the power of gratitude. And he challenged me every day at the end of my day to find three miracles, to find three things that I was grateful for in that day. And in the beginning, it was so hard. But by the end of my mission, every night I was so excited. And I mean, sooner than the end of my mission, within not very much time, I was so excited to sit down and write about the tiny miracles, about the member that like squoze my hand and cheered me on at church, or it was little teeny tiny things. It was the flecks of gold that were showing up. It was a sunset, right? On a hard day, or it was a phone call from one of the members or whatever it was there were little teeny tiny things that I could be grateful for. And that just really shifted gratitude shifted my whole experience in the mission field. And I just, it freed me up to love the members and to love the people and to just dive in and realize that probably nobody would choose to get baptized while I was there, but maybe that wasn't the point of my experience. I can so relate to that. (laughs) That's beautiful, especially the quiet dignity thing. I was like, uh, what is going on? And I actually remember being so angry, to be honest, I think it was anger that I felt like my personality was trying to be ripped out of me. And instead, my friend, she kind of gave me a shift and she said, well, maybe it's not that the Lord was trying to change because I kind of blamed it on the Lord. And she said, maybe it's not that he's trying to change your personality, but he's trying to refine it. And that, that really did help me reframe that so that I could get past that part of it. Can we dive into something you said for just one second? I love what you said. And this really, I had an experience this last weekend at the women's retreat where I realized that sometimes our final scapegoat, because we don't want to take responsibility, but that's where we become free is when we are willing to take responsibility for every single thing that shows up in our life. And I know that can be a really hard pill to swallow. And oftentimes, especially for children, it does not make any sense. But when we are able and willing to take responsibility for every experience, that is when we become free. And I think so often, and I did this in my own life, I had this experience very much so where the final person that I had to stop blaming was God. And it was so interesting because this last weekend, there was a woman at this retreat who was in a very similar place where I had been previously. And I was, I have some really harsh, I was really mad. I was really, really, really angry with God. And she was too. And she said to me, and it's okay because he can handle it. And I said, you are right. God can handle all of your anger. He can handle every emotion that you have. You are absolutely right. But the anger isn't hurting God. It's hurting you. It is stopping you from moving forward. And myself as well, actually, as I look back, the the place that I was really upset with my heavenly father was from my childhood. Why did you send me to this experience that would cover up, right? It was like mud was being flung and all the stuff was throwing up, was covering up or being thrown up all over me, right? 
to cover up the the truth of who I really was at my core. And there were all these things being thrown on me. And I had a brain and all of us that young had a brain that had no clue how to process any of it. And so we did the best that we could, just like our parents. I just remember one day looking at God and being like, why is this your plan? I just don't get it. Why would you send us here to cover us in mud to then ask us to go through this inner world journey (laughs) to do all, all this work or play however you want to look at it? to find the truth of what's inside, because that's, I think, exactly what happens in our mortal journey. And I still don't necessarily have the answer to why, except for once again, God is governed by law. And the thing that was really beautiful this weekend that came to me was, and I reminded her, you know what, you're blaming God for a choice that you made, because I believe that before you came here, you actually rose your hand and shouted to come and begged God to send you. And maybe just maybe there was a conversation with him saying, are you sure there's going to be some really hard stuff? You're going to get covered in mud and it's going to maybe not be as fun as you think that it is sometimes. Are you sure you really want to do this? And I think that we each were in a place where we knew that in order for us to progress and in order for us to move forward, we needed to face the mud. And we needed to face the hard stuff and we needed to, to relearn. We didn't really know what we were before because we'd never experienced anything different. So we came here to face opposition so that we could know what we really are. And so it goes back to the point of this is when you can get past blaming God and you can accept the fact that you made a choice to come here and, and go through whatever it is that you're being called to experience but that it was your agency that made that choice to come. It's not God's fault. So many of us want to blame God, but it's, we chose, we chose to come here. And so when I can remember that and I can say, okay, I chose this and God is just allowing things to happen to me so that I can learn and grow. And so that I can progress then I am free to see things so differently. It's powerful. It's a reframe that actually gives you the capacity to change or to to change the way you, you know, you look at things and the things you look at change. And it's true. Your emotions are then different. You are about to embark with 10 women in a course you created on October 11th, and it marks the beginning of 12 weeks of inviting women to adopt the mantra, I accept grace. Can you share a story or two of how you are using it on a daily basis? Yeah, so I have two examples, and one of which is a daily ritual that I do every single day. And I guess I kind of already talked about one of them. I have one that I do in the morning and then one that I do in the evening. And I think that both of them are really beautiful examples of grace. But the first one is when I wake up in the morning, um, I choose intentionally to kind of sneak away and I go into my little office here that where I am and I have this, this ritual that I do where I go to my garden, my sacred garden, and I meet the savior. I meet Jesus Christ every day. And it's all like just imagined right in my brain. He doesn't actually come physically walk and talk with me, but I have set up all these little things inside of this ritual that help me be clothed in his grace. So 
it starts in stillness. And I just have like a guided meditation that I have written out and it has words and then it has music that allows me to do things, but I start in stillness. And then there's a point where I do some gratitude or seeing where God is showing up in my life. And then I have a section to, to have vision, to see what I see coming and what I want to create with God in my world. And then after vision, I love, I think a lot of people are into affirmations, but for me, I've taken it and I allow Christ to breathe into me who he sees me as. So he tells me what I am in his eyes. And then I receive those words by taking it and transforming it into an affirmation. So he tells me you are, and then I take it and transform it into I am. And he, he closed me. I call it my goddess gear um, because those affirmations create this, this goddess gear that helps me remember who I really am. Right. And then at the end of that, he always leaves me with a little scripture of his that reminds me who he is. So that in those moments when I falter, I know that he's got my back and then we dance. Like I have a song all about grace that I get up off my bum and I dance around the room to grace, to the vibrations of grace. And then, um, I have a little, like, I call it my hurrah for Israel cheer. And it's just some words that remind me why I'm all in for a world of inner work, why I'm all in for a life of being awake and alive and being conscious of what's going on in my world instead of living in the subconscious. And then at the end, I just have some time to receive inspiration, to hear the Holy Spirit and ask my heavenly father what it is that he would have me do throughout the day that day. So I absolutely love that practice. And as I dive into the next experience, I truly believe that it's probably that practice and some others that I have implemented in my life that led to an experience just this past Sunday where I felt the grace of my savior enabling me to do things that I didn't used to know how to do. So this Sunday, it was my little Oakley gals. She is my mini me. She is like the spitfire of me and all of me shows up in her. And she is teaching me all the time how to love the things about myself that I don't think I should love. She teaches me how to love them, but it was her first primary program. Now, remember she's five, so she should have had other primary programs, but we live in a world of COVID, right? So she's a COVID child. And I think that probably before COVID had some social anxieties um, and had some hesitations. She's also an only child. And so she doesn't have other kiddos to learn and grow with here at home. Um, And so I knew that the likeliness of her like getting up on that stand and actually participating in a primary program was not likely, but I thought, man, we'll just, I don't want to put that judgment on her. Let's just see how it goes. When she got her primary program part at primary and we kind of talked to her about what it was and what that meant, she said, I'm not doing it. And we said, okay, fine. Like, that's okay. Right. She has agency. She has the ability to choose even as a five-year-old. She has agency. And when I, as a parent can respect her agency, our relationship goes so much smoother. That's not to say that there are no boundaries in our home. (laughs) Just know that. Like, I think sometimes we get into either or like either she's free to choose and there's no boundaries or there are all the boundaries and there's no freedom to choose. Right. And we balance that somewhere in the middle, honestly, and truthfully, but 
I was not in a place where I felt like I should force her to do a primary program. So the weeks went by and she went to primary and she would practice and she knew her part. She had it memorized. Like she could say it. It was one little line. I know heavenly father watches over us was her little part. And she knew it through and through. And I thought maybe this is going to happen. Like maybe this is going to really fly. And I left my women's retreat early to come home so that I could be there for her first experience. And it went nothing like I expected. Well, somewhat like I expected, but Previously in my life, I probably would have forced her to participate and because I would have thought that that's what she is supposed to do. But I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I extended grace to my child and I met her where she was Sunday. So we got up Sunday morning and she said, I'm not doing it. And I said, that's fine. And my husband said, you better call your parents who are driving an hour down here and tell them that she's not doing it. I said, nope. My parents can come and support their grandchild no matter what, no matter what she needs their unconditional love and support. So my parents can come and no matter what she chooses, my parents can hopefully support her. They get to choose too, but I'm not going to cancel them coming just because she may or may not participate. So they came and they were at the house and there was some bribery going on from one of my parents trying to get her to participate. Right. And she was not going for it. And anyways, we end up at church. I sneak up to the front to let the primary presidency know she doesn't feel like she can do it. We ended up sitting in the back and she kind of starts throwing a fit. And I think sometimes these cute kids have so many big emotions and they just don't know what to do with them. They don't know how to explain it. They don't know how to tell you what's going on. And It's not that they don't want to, like, they just don't know how. And so she kind of starts crying. And I just, I said to my husband, like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, she doesn't want to sit in the back, but there's not anywhere else to sit. And I was like, okay. So I just asked her if I could take her out. And we went out in the foyer and this sweet little five-year-old taught me a lot. We were sitting there on the couch and she was crying and I was kind of like rubbing her back and asking her some questions and just trying to find out if I could help her fix whatever was going on inside of her. And she said, I just want my snuggle Bobby mom. I just want my snuggle Bobby. And at our house, the snuggle Bobby is just a super soft, super thin blanket, the swaddle blankets that everybody, everybody uses in today's world. And I said, Oh, sweetheart, we don't have one. I'm so sorry. I said, will you come sit on my lap and can I be your snuggle Bobby? And she said, you can't mom. And she said, snuggle Bobbies don't have eyes. And they don't have ears and they don't have mouths. And I was like, Hmm, you're right. They don't. And then she said, and they don't talk mom. And I previously may have been upset or felt like I was doing it all wrong. Right. In that moment. And wanted to beat myself up for not being able to be the snuggle Bobby for my baby. But instead I just sat with it. And I was like, this is gold. She just gave me gold. She just taught. We all complain that kids don't come with manuals. And I'm not saying that like she comes with a manual all the time, but in this moment, she gave me instructions out of her instruction book. And she taught me how I could help her. And quite frankly, it was to just be quiet 
and to just be there for her, to love her and accept her no matter what, and just be there with her. So I shut my mouth and I just sat with her and I snuggled her and I told her how much I loved her. And then she was able to tell me, well, I was actually really upset because I don't want to sit in the back because then I can't see all of the kids. Like she wanted to be able to see the primary program and she couldn't see it. And so that's why she was so upset about having to sit in the back. And I was like, gosh, like there's gotta be a solution. Right. So I said, well, why don't we go back in and you can try sitting on my lap. And if that doesn't work, we'll find a way for you to see the kids because I don't think that that is an outrageous request. So we ended up front, her and I took a little walk up to the very front of the chapel. And then we found our little spot for her to see all of the kids and to watch. And the story just gets better. Like God just keeps giving me more gold. And so we're sitting there and we're watching and we're listening. And and then she starts singing the songs. Cause I said, look, you can still sing the song. It's okay that you're not up there. You can just sing the songs from here. So I got like my little personal VIP primary program with my mini me. Right. And I got to listen to her sing all of those songs. And I got to listen to her talk about how she walks and talks with Jesus every day through these songs and stuff. And then this cute little boy got up and read her part for her because they had the other primary kids fill in for the parts where they couldn't. And we had the most beautiful moment because she said to me, mom, did somebody just say my part for me? And I was like, yeah, like you recognize that somebody said your part for you. And I realized in that moment of time that I had a choice to help her create an empowering story or a disempowering story. And I think that that's the thing is that in every moment we get to choose how we tell our story. And I realized in that moment that I could either help her see that she was not good enough, that she didn't do it right that day, and that she should have gotten up there and said her part. But gosh, that doesn't leave anybody feeling good, right? And instead, I I just, in that moment, I was like, no, God sent her an angel today. Heavenly Father sent her an angel to do something for her that she didn't feel capable of doing for herself. And that is where Jesus Christ showed up in my sacrament meeting that day, because that is where grace fits in. Like that is where grace comes in. Christ meets us where we are and provides miracles and angels to help us do things that we don't feel capable of doing. And so in that moment, I just said to her, look, heavenly father sent you an angel. That little boy today is your angel because he did something for you that you didn't feel like you could do for yourself. And it was so beautiful. And I bawled through the sacrament meeting because here's Jesus showing up in my life, extending grace to both me and my child. And then we're sitting there and she looks down at her skirt and there's the, this little tear in her skirt and it's perfectly shaped in a heart. And she's like, mom, look, it's a heart. And I said, look, heavenly father is sending you a sign and he's telling you how much he loves you and that he is so proud of you today. And it just was this beautiful experience. And in my world, that's grace. Will you remind me of the line that she was that, that her angel said for her that she memorized? What was it? Heavenly Father watches over us. <laughs> That's awesome. 
you asked me like, what is it that you observe in people around you in women and other people in the world around you that tells you that what I am bringing into the world is something that is so needed. And the answer to me is the trap of perfection. And in our church culture, it shows up everywhere. It shows up everywhere. And so like, yeah, so in my example, what should have happened or what would have been the perfect primary program, right? Would have been that my child would have felt able to get up on the stand and sit with her class. And that's what I thought should have happened, right? That would have been the perfect primary program in my mind. As I was able to let go of that, God delivered a much more beautiful primary program for me and for my child, right? Like, I mean, beyond my wildest dreams, it was incredible and beautiful. And I learned so much and I got to know my savior better that day, not only through my child, but through the kids and their testimonies and the songs that they shared. And, um, so like, where does that show up in all of our lives? I think in church culture, it shows up big time because you see everybody trying so hard to keep up with the Joneses and the Joneses are just a facade that doesn't actually exist, right? Satan makes us think or the adversary or the opposition or the darkness or whatever you want to call it makes us think that there's this perfect something out there. And that we are never going to be good enough to be that. And that's the lie. And that is the lie that he tries to feed us over and over and over again. Um, And it shows up everywhere. Like it shows up all the time. I hear moms all the time. I'm the worst mom. I'm failing at motherhood. I, my kids aren't making the choices that I think they should. And so I'm, I'm a failure as a mother. Um, I'm not, I'm failing in my calling. I'm failing as a minister. I'm not good enough at that. I'm not good enough at this. I am failing at school. I'm failing at like this world will invite you to see failure day in and day out all the time. And it's just a lie. It's just a flat out lie because the way that I see it, if I remember, right, if we go back to Adam and Eve and the garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, they had a choice. And really, we all know that the choice they had to make in order for God's plan to continue and in order for children to progress, they had to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it's not that I'm only partaking of evil, but I have to partake of both. I have to partake of good and bad. I have to partake of of the opposites. We want to get rid of labels. I just have to partake of opposites so that I can know what the other one is or isn't. And so somehow though, like we've all bought into, I got to do it all perfectly. We've all bought into Satan's plan here on earth. And we all think that if I'm not doing it exactly right, and if I'm not doing it perfectly, then I'm not going to earn my seat in heaven, but grace is free. Nothing has to be earned. And so for me, like I have really come to understand that when we talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ, we are individually and personally written in his palms, engraven in his palms. And we are always more than enough because he is more than enough. 
And that was the plan from the very beginning. God said like, Hey, go down and screw up, do it wrong. Adam and Eve partake of the fruit that I told you not partake of and learn and grow. The whole point of this earth life is for us to learn and to grow and to progress. But we're also caught up in, well, I don't want to fail and I don't want to do it wrong. I just want to do everything exactly right. That we don't progress at all because it totally stops us dead in our tracks and it doesn't allow us to move forward. And so Satan has played his cards well. (laughs) And he has made us think that this idealistic gospel should be our everyday life. And he tells us that when it gets messy, it's all wrong. But for me, that's where Jesus Christ shows up is in the mess. I think that God asks us to be perfect eventually, but really he set up his plan so that we could be perfect all along in Christ. Like that's what it means. Perfect in Christ equals I'm allowing Christ's grace to rule in my life, right? I'm allowing him to make up the difference. I'm allowing him. It's so interesting. Just the other day on Facebook, I saw this whole post about the YSA kids are not wearing their white shirts to pass the sacrament. What should we do about it? And at some point in our lives, we're going to have to, I, I don't know. We don't have to do anything. We are all agents free to ourselves. But once again, that colored shirt is Jesus Christ showing up to love that child wherever they are in their journey of spirituality. That's where Christ shows up. And so as I look at that colored shirt, the question is not, what should I do about this kid who's wearing a shirt? The question is, what does my savior, Jesus Christ have to teach me about unconditional love? Because this is different than what I think that it should be. That's really powerful. If we can apply that in our lives and make it happen. I'm actually looking at all these questions. I'm like, there's so much here. And we've already covered so many wonderful things in this. And I think this has been very enriching and will be very enriching to whomever listens to this. I'm going to maybe give this to you. Is there anything that you want to share besides what I've already asked regarding just grace or about what you've learned regarding this life journey that we're on? Yeah. You know, I had an experience just the other morning, but like if there was one thing that I had to share with the world, one thing that I thought was the first right step into the inner world work. I, I had a really beautiful conversation with a gal the other day and at the core, at the root of all of our problems is this, I don't think I'm enough. I don't think I'm good enough. And if I don't think that I'm good enough, then I certainly don't know how to apply unconditional love in my life and in my world. And so I was talking with her and at one point I said like, cause she has all these goals, right? She has all these things that she wants to do with her life. She has dreams and she has things that she wants to accomplish. We all do. Of course we do. Like that's what we were created for. Um, but like many of us and myself included, oftentimes we embark on these goals or we embark on these things that we want to accomplish and we beat ourselves up the whole entire way. And instead of loving ourselves thin or healthy, I don't even know if thin is the right word, right. But loving ourselves to a healthy place or loving ourselves into a healthy relationship or loving ourselves into whatever goal it is that we have, 
we pick up the stick and we try to beat ourselves the whole entire way. Well, no wonder we give up and stop trying. I was talking with her and I was like, okay, because I invited her into my coaching and asked her if she would be interested in working with me. And for her right now, like she has tried investing in herself before and it has not gone the way that she expected it to. And so she doesn't feel capable of doing that. And I said, okay, that's fine. Like I'm always going to offer because I believe I have tools that can help you. And then I'm always going to allow you to choose what you think is best for you. And that's fine. That's all good. But I said to her, so if you're not going to work with me and if you're not going to like, what are you going to do? How can you help yourself get where you want to go? Right. And we kind of dove into that conversation of like, okay, if you're not going to do this, what are you going to do? And she started down the path of, well, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to write out my goals and I'm going to make it happen. And I know that that's where so many of us are in this life, right? Because it's the best that we've been taught and it's the best that we know. And we're doing the very best that we can with the knowledge and the understanding that we have. And I just said to her, you know what? My one piece of advice to you is put it all down, put down every goal that you have. And the place that I would start is self-love because when you love yourself, going to the gym is going to be easy, or maybe you'll realize that, Hey, I love myself and I hate the gym. So I probably shouldn't make myself go to the gym every day, but maybe I love going for a walk. Or maybe I love whatever form of physical exercise. Maybe I love going rock climbing. Maybe I love riding a horse. Maybe I love something totally different than this thing that I think I'm supposed to do to get healthy. And when I love myself, I can ask myself like, hey, what do you want to do for physical exercise today? And it can be super fun and I can enjoy it and I can live in joy men, men are created that they might have joy. Right. And so if I said, I said, if I were you, like, this is my best piece of advice for you. If I were you, I would go home and I would put down all the goals, all the things that you want to accomplish. And I would dive into a journey of loving you. And I know that in our culture that feels backwards, that feels totally backwards Because in our culture, we have been taught to love everyone and serve everyone and do everything for everyone. And as you lose your life, you will find it. And so I know that there's a scripture that talks about that. But I just want to remind people that there is also the the, the first and second commandment, right? The first one is love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. And there are two parts to this. And it's loving your neighbor as yourself. And if we lived in a world where we truly treated our neighbors, the way that we treat ourselves right now, this world would be even uglier than it already is. And so I believe that as we transform ourselves and we learn how to love ourselves and we learn how to give grace to ourselves, we are then enabled to offer it to the world. We're able to like as I gave myself grace over the last three years, it enabled me to give grace to my child because I let go of all the expectations I had for myself 
I was able to free her and not make her live up to my expectation of what I thought a primary program should look like for her. Right. And so I truly believe that the work starts with us and that as we fill our cups and as we come to know that we are the bakery that provides the bread to the grocery stores and we start showing up for ourselves and we fill our cups full of love and compassion and kindness and mercy and grace and all of those things. That is when we free ourselves to be able to extend all of those things to everybody else. And I think it's a both and again, it's not either. I love myself and I hate everybody else, or I love everybody else. And I hate myself or whatever. It's this beautiful orchestration of both and that I, as I love myself, it allows me to love others more. And as I love others more, it teaches me how to love myself more. And it's this beautiful, like circular, I think of the number eight and the infinity, right. And they just go back and forth. But I think that the place to start is self-love. So I would love to offer to anyone who's listening the same challenge that I offered to this gal. I um, will always and forever remember the day that my coach said to me, I want you to write a love letter to you every day. And I talked about that this is a daily practice for me now. But in that moment, I am sure that my eyes got as big as they possibly could be. And I'm sure she thought there's no way (laughs) that this girl is going to do this because I was so far from loving myself like it, it sounded impossible for me to sit down and write a love letter to me. I was like, what you want me to do what? So she gave me a baby step. If you're thinking the same thing, like, no, 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 no way. I cannot write a love letter to me. Um, she gave me a really beautiful baby step that I'll share with you. And that is to pick somebody that you love and adore, pick somebody in your world. For me, she suggested my child, right? Um, I know that not everyone has children, but just find someone in your life that you absolutely love and adore. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's your favorite aunt. Maybe it's your dog. I don't know. Whoever you love and adore and write a love letter to them. And then you just cross their name out at the top and you fill your name in and you start feeding yourself those words of love and kindness. And, um, I really encouraged her to do it for 40 days. So for anyone listening, that would be the same invitation. Just dive in and start writing a love letter to yourself um, for the next 40 days and just start to see what happens, what changes, what shifts, what, what is different in your life because you're doing this exercise. And then one other tidbit or one other helpful hint is a post-it note counts. So if you don't have time to write a long, like I am a recovering perfectionist. So sometimes I think that that love letter has to look a certain way. And so I really freed myself when I realized that a post-it note counts, a long letter counts, um, a little voice memo counts, or maybe a post on social media about how much I love myself counts. There's lots of different ways to write yourself a love letter. So experiment, have fun, play with it. And I invite you into the journey of loving you. It's beautiful. How can we reach you? And what does the 12 weeks of grace, when does that 12 weeks of grace program begin if people would like to join? Yes. So I am super excited. This program is going to be amazing. So we are kicking off October. I think I changed it to the 10th because I want it to end 
by the end of the year, or maybe it's ending on the first. So we are going to like set people up for success coming into 2022. Um, so super excited about that. We are adopting the, the mantra. I accept grace and each letter represents a theme that we're going to dive into for a week at a time. And if you are lucky enough to meet me where I am at in my journey right now, I am so excited because the best way to reach me right now is by text or phone call. My phone number is 435-764-8469. I'm certainly on social media. You can check me out on Instagram. My handle is Trusting Divinity. I don't think there's any other ones out there. So you should be able to find me easily. Facebook, my Facebook group is discovering divinity within. I mean, there's lots of ways, but if this message really spoke with you today, and if you know that God has been prompting you to find a path to loving yourself, just give me a call or shoot me a text and let's chat.